The song right before the lesson is a familiar song, one that we sing with ease. Nearer, my God, to thee. The lesson tonight is about people who were near to God, but were not too happy with those who were near to him. Grace is a complicated thing. We all want it. We all know that we need it. And hopefully after this year, we've been learning to give it more and more. But grace, by its very definition, is unfair. It's not fair, and it, it's because of this that Jesus was, though perfect, the object of a great deal of criticism when he lived, and especially when he ministered. Because he showed people who by all measure in that culture, did not deserve to be near to God. But God showed his heart, and the stories we're going to look at tonight, desires to be near to them. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 15 as we look at one example of this and we learn about God's love for the lost. This entire chapter we're going to endeavor to cover in tonight's sermon, but the entire entirety of the chapter is, of course, a familiar three stories that Jesus told. Those three stories were told for a reason, and Luke tells us why. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then we hear three stories. The problem, see, is is that not that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, at least at this point, didn't believe Jesus and didn't want to be near him. But they had in their world, just like we have in our world, a kind of a social problem. Pecking order. Uh, You know what the pecking order is, right? Uh, It's that farm terminology used to depict in animals what human beings often do to one another. Uh, There are, in a a circle of little chickens, uh, different ones of size and strength and speed and beak size. And uh, they start to peck at each other. And and scientists have studied this, that that there is an order to how they peck. There are certain chickens that can peck on any of the other little chicks. And, And eventually everybody has someone that they can peck on, except for one poor little chick at the very bottom. And he has nowhere to go. And often, very sadly, you'll find him Pecked to death because he has uh, no one that he can peck on and everybody else pecks on him. It's sad when you see it in little chickens, but of course the lesson is clear that it's devastating when we see it in life. Uh, The stories are all too common of people about your age whose value and worth is literally determined by an icon on a screen 
or how many numbers you have next to the icon on your screen. And you at a far too young age have learned the vicious cycle of pecking order. In Jesus' day, there was the pecking order. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, they were good in the sense of being righteous, but they had a pecking order, you see. And when this young, obscure, unknown rabbi from a poor carpenter begins to teach with wisdom that they had never heard or seen before, And then when they tried to to present questions to trick him up and to stumble him, they couldn't do it. And so they thought, aha, here is the next rising star of Israel. Just one, one tiny little problem. You see, this, this rabbi with such great potential to go to the top of the pecking order, all he wants to do is hang out down here. That's odd. Maybe we could straighten that out. Perhaps we could tell him, Brother, a rabbi of your esteem surely doesn't need to associate with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And Jesus responded by telling three stories. The first story is about a shepherd who loses his sheep. Jesus said this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. A shepherd could have had either the role of an owner where the sheep were his Or the role of a manager, a stewarding shepherd, who didn't own the sheep but had a vested interest if he wanted to keep his job in taking good care of the sheep. And certainly the least of those basic cares is making sure you get the same amount of sheep in the pen at night as you left with that morning. Either way, as owner or as manager, a shepherd had a vested interest in every single one of the sheep. And even if the loss was just 1%, 1 out of 100, he had a vested interest to make sure that every sheep returned. His heart was with the sheep. And if we think about this, the shepherd doesn't really need the sheep. I mean, there's lots of sheep, certainly in Israel in that time. And uh, sheep were common marketplace animals. The reason the shepherd had a vested interest in the one sheep, I mean, think about it. He, He would leave the safe, secure 99 without a shepherd 
so that the one who is lost would have a shepherd. At risk to his own life, at risk to the sheep's own life. Why? Because he needs the sheep that badly? No. Because that one sheep needs him. And that's the heart of God. Think with me the familiar Psalm 23. You might want to turn there. You probably just know it by heart. Listen to these words that describe the heart of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You will anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sheep, in the 23rd Psalm, it's like a sheep describing his shepherd. And all of the good things that come purely and only from the shepherd. Food and water and peace and protection and guidance all come from the shepherd. The sheep, as expressed by David, needs the shepherd. Far more than anything else in this world. For a sheep without the shepherd is as good as dead. Now, maybe the sheep understands that. More likely, they don't. The shepherd understands that a sheep won't last long without his guidance, without his protection, without his sustenance, without his peace, without his just walking along beside, guiding him on the right paths. He knows that death will surely follow the little sheep who strays too far. The beautiful thing about this from this first story is the shepherd's heart is for the sheep. And even though it was just one who strayed, God God seeks nonetheless. He pursues nonetheless. C.S. Lewis had a a great quote. He said, if they all had strayed, he would pursue. But even only, if only one strays, he would do no less. He still pursues because they are his. All the sheep matter to the shepherd. He died not for men, but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done No less. That's the heart of the shepherd. He does it for each one. I know it doesn't happen today, but back then, righteous people got pretty comfortable at a certain level of the pecking order. I know it would never happen today, but back then, they became comfortable with the idea that certain people were just lost and far from God. But God's not okay with that. And he never has been. 
And may we never be a church that is. The second story that Jesus tells is a different character. A woman who loses her security. We're reading now in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This very likely, I mean, it's a parable, so we're not exactly sure. But very likely would have been based on a widow who would have had what would have been known as a dowry, a basically a nest egg to live on. It was her security. It was everything she had in a culture where women just didn't get up and go to work. And so for her to lose this nest egg, uh, even just 10% of it, was deeply troubling. As I understand, the stock market tends to go up and down. I'm not sure. Some of you may follow the market in here, but... You ever notice that the news people start to squawk a lot more when we start going? If you get if you get a sudden one day drop in ten percent of your portfolio, people tend to focus on that a little bit. Sure. Imagine a woman who had basically, and we're talking not spiritually, but financial security, and had lost ten percent of what she had. In the Greek word. The coin, uh, the, the word coin is what would have been used for a uh, drachma. The, the, the short part of this is what she had, everything in the world that was of value was of very little value in terms of the world, in terms of wealth. But to her, that was everything. What little she had was everything. In other words, it wasn't much, but it was all she had. And so when she lost part of something which was very important to her and made her feel secure, think about how you are when you lose something that's valuable to you that that once, I mean, maybe just a day ago was in your possession. That you had, that you that, that was in your hands, that belonged to you, and now it's gone. I lose things all the time. Fortunately, God put in my life a woman who has a great ability to find things. And in our house, if Christy can't find it, it's gone. I'll I'll say well, I left my money clip or I, I've I've forgotten this I, I left a uh, something that I wrote down it's in one of these pockets or I left a checkbook here or, you know and and she's so good about finding it but have you ever had that sense when you had something that was yours and you needed to find it and you couldn't 
And, and I mean no one in the world cares. Uh, it's happened a number of times. Uh, people will come through here kind of looking frantic and they're looking for a, a cell phone or, or maybe a, a lost set of keys, which means they're staying at church a really long time until they find those. Or, or it's a Bible. It's a Bible they had forever and it's got all their notes in it. And they just are frantic. And they'll call the office or they ask me or they ask one of the other staff. And, you know, they'll, they'll ask Bob or they, they, they're just frantically trying to look all about it. And the frustrating part about that is no one cares for that possession quite like the owner of that possession. And so you ask somebody, you know, you know they're, they're just trying to be helpful, but not helpful enough that it might inconvenience them. So they ask, they're like, have you seen my, my, let's just say it's a Bible. Have you seen my Bible? I said, no, I haven't seen it. I mean, where was the last place you had it? Okay, which is a really dumb thing to ask because if they knew that, they probably would have it. Okay, or they'll say silly things like you can finish the sentence. Well, it must be here. Right, and that's very helpful, isn't it? Yeah, okay, obviously. Or some smart like will say, well, it's always the last place you... Ah, these people need to be slapped. Uh, this, this is just so frustrating to a person who owns the thing and who wants to find it and who has the heart to find it and is not going to stop and seek and stop seeking and finding until it's found and no one else cares as much as the owner does about what's lost. Story number two is the lesson of how different it is in the way people react when they lose something of theirs versus when you lose something of yours. Remember, Jesus is telling these stories to tell a point. He's talking about a shepherd who loves his sheep so much, he'll seek diligently about finding the one, even though 99 are safe and secure. He will risk his own life. He's talking about a woman whose everything she has in terms of security, just 10% of that is lost, and she will set about diligently seeking and finding because what she has belongs to her and was once in her hands but is no more. And even though it's not in her hands, it's still of great value to her. Do you understand that what Jesus is beginning to tell us about the heart of God? It's very important. And so she will diligently seek to find the coin that she lost and not give up until she finds it. And when she does, she's going to have a party like you can't even imagine a party being had because she found what was hers and what was very valuable to her, which once was not out, which was one in her possession, but now has left her possession and now has returned. You see, did you notice what Jesus said here? Look, look very closely. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We don't get a great many glimpses into heaven, but Jesus gives us a glimpse of the angels who stand before the glory and the power and the might of God day and night. Some of them crying out, holy, 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 at least for parts of that, 
there's a ceasing in the crying out and a ceasing in adoration of God. And there's a celebration. There is a party in heaven and rejoicing over over one sinner who returns. Over one person who repents with a close Christian friend over a table of coffee and tears. Over one person who slowly makes their way to a front on Sunday morning and says, my life and my heart with God is not right and I need help. There's rejoicing over that. There's joy in heaven over that than over a whole lot of people who do not need any penitence. It's a song, I don't even know if it's a youth group song, but we... We used to sing it years ago. I say to you, I say to you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Then ninety-nine, ninety-nine righteous persons who need no penitence. A short song, powerful truth. The stories that Jesus told 2,000 years ago that tell us the heart of of God, I know that God's heart has not changed, and his heart still seeks the lost. And the final story is a, a very familiar one and a much longer one, starting in verse 11. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, the younger one, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between the two of them. Not long after that, the younger man, the younger son, uh, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired out himself to a citizen of that country. And he went, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son He practiced the whole speech. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Uh, Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who is dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, 
He was in the field, and he came near the house, and he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants, and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, and so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I don't know how many of us here have all known about or lived with or or lived the horrible reality of a story like this. Because this is a different kind of story than the first two. Although, yes, there's certainly some similarities because there's lost things and there's found things and, you know, all of that. And there's celebration at the return. But but this this story is different, you see, because... Because it's different than sheep and coins. It's a child. It's your heart. And the child isn't lost out of the way that one loses a coin or that maybe a little sheep gets lost. A child is lost out of his own willful decision to leave his father who loved him. And essentially look to the father and say... You are as good to me as if you were dead. So let me have the part of you that I'm concerned about, the part that I get when you die, and I'll go off and be on my way. I can't imagine such a sting to a father. The father thinking of the son that he'd held in the very first days of life. The father thinking of the son who first learned to walk. The father who had taught his son to trade in the family business. The father who'd been with his sons through good and through bad and through, through all of that. And had come to a point in his life where he says, Father, I, I really don't want any of you. I just want the part of you that benefits me. So if I could just have the inheritance, please. And he leaves. And in that culture, of course, it happened just as it does in our culture. But you see, there was a difference. A, a, a son who declared to his father who was dead was, was to be considered as a dead son. To be considered just write him off. In fact, if the son had tried to approach the father, uh, the best hope he had was maybe to possibly work and to be a slave. But if the community found out about what he'd done to his father, the community was under an obligation to stone the wicked son for what he had done. This story is just offends every sensibility of a, of a respectable, upright Jewish man in the first century. This father does what is unthinkable. We call it the prodigal son. That's wrong. The, the, it was the prodigal father who did what was unthinkable, who lavished on his rebellious, wicked son, All of that which he did not deserve. He didn't deserve mercy. 
He certainly didn't deserve justice. And heaven forbid anybody show this kid grace. All you're doing is teaching other children to disrespect and dishonor their parents. But the father looks at it differently. The father sees a son which was his. The father knows a son which has his heart. The father sees in the son some of himself. The father knows how the son thinks. And the father never, ever gives up on the son. The Pharisees and the Sadducees cannot understand why Jesus would hang out with tax collectors and sinners. They cannot understand it because they were not there when those tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes were created. Jesus had a vested interest in these people, just as he does all of us. His heart has always been with his children. And he is not willing to accept, much like the shepherd and much like the woman, loss. Because they're his. And they belong to him. And he will spare nothing this side of heaven to rescue and redeem once and for all. His children. You and I celebrate to show important things. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and retirements. We do that because those are important milestones. A time when we literally stop in life and we say, hey, this was a good thing that happened here. Whether it's a birthday, hey, it was a good day that you were born. We're we're glad for that, so let's have some cake. Whether it's a graduation, hey, you finished 13 years of education, just a few more years more. But we're happy for you. Let's have some cake. Or, or retirement, hey, you've worked your whole life, and you've saved up, and now you have enough where you can live the rest of your years without having to work. That's wonderful. Let's have some cake. We celebrate important moments because they're important to the people that we love. In the same way, in each of these stories is a celebration. A celebration of that which is lost being found. That which was in one's possession, having left the owner's possession, now returning. May we rejoice in the same way. Jesus wanted them to rejoice in the same way, to, to share in the joy, to recognize that which was important. And may we learn the lesson that the Pharisees forgot. And that's this, to rejoice at repentance. I was thinking about this takeaway for just a minute because I thought, you know, on a Sunday night crowd, not knowing who the Sunday night crowd would be, in a very easily judgmental view, I'm going to say that it's probable that we're among the 99. It's easy to forget or maybe ignore those who are lost. 
because, we're, because we feel safe. We feel secure. Things are pretty good for us. But if you want to be near to the heart of God, pay attention to the three stories that Jesus told. Pay attention to three, three stories that told about really one type of person. The lost. Saved people should never stop seeking people. God forbid that we ever would be complacent. That we'd ever, ever, ever write people off. Because Jesus never did. He didn't give up on people then. And I'm certain he does not give up on people today. Now, my judgment may be wrong. And maybe here tonight and you do not know Jesus. And let me say with all sincerity, trying to look at each person here in the eyes tonight. That if you are here and you do not know Jesus or if you knew Jesus, but you've left Jesus. May you understand that these stories are about you. That his heart will not be satisfied, will not be content, and never be okay with even one being lost. So if you have fallen from Christ, or if you do not know him, tonight I want to invite you to get to know a rabbi who's more than just a rabbi. He's a savior who gave his life on a cross who paid for your sin and for mine and for everyone's with his blood to make a holy sacrifice to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law so that he might extend to you grace. And if you know his grace, may you overflow with it. May you be a seeker. May you not be too concerned with inviting people who don't look like church folk to church. May you not be afraid to hang out with people who are unrighteous and unclean and generally kind of dirty in how they live. May you get your hands, may you get your heart dirty. Why? Because Jesus did. Did he enjoy doing that? Probably not all the time. But he did that because he loved them. Because he knit them together in their womb, just as he knit you together in your mother's His heart is with you and the lost. If you are not seeking people, if you've become, you know, the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is apathy. Just to think that even one soul would spend eternity in hell because of sin. And I could have an impact on that soul. I realize it's their choice. But might I have an impact? Might God be putting them in my way today? Might God and the angels in heaven saying, let's have them go to lunch with Brian. Because we know Brian will say something. Let's have them live next door to Tim. Because Tim will say something. Let's have them be in the checkout line today with Jim. Because Jim will say something. May we not neglect our duty. May we have the heart of Jesus for the heart of the lost. Save people, got to seek people. May we be seeking people. These three stories give us one lesson to take away. To rejoice 
when anyone repents. Tonight, if you need to repent, if you need to turn back to the Lord, then come. And if you need to repent for not seeking, may you come together as we stand and sing.